This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. TL Talk Radio, Season 6, Episode 33. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 33 of TL Talk Radio. I'm Lynn Puney-Hatton. And I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. Today, we're speaking with Tom Vanderark, co-author of Power of Place, Authentic Learning Through Place-Based Education. Tom is an advocate for innovations in learning. As CEO of Getting Smart, Tom advises impact organizations and learning institutions on the path forward. A prolific writer and speaker, Tom has co-authored more than 50 books, chapters, and white papers, and has published thousands of articles. He writes regularly on GettingSmart.com, LinkedIn, and contributes to Forbes. Tom served as the first executive director of education for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and was a public school superintendent in Washington State. Tom is a board member for Education Board Partners, director for 4.0 Schools, Digital Learning Institute, Latinx Education Collaborative, and Edu Innovations and Advisor for One Stone and Teton Science Schools and Whittle Schools and Studios. So welcome back to the podcast, Tom. Looking forward to having a conversation with you today. Thanks, Lynn and Randy. I'm a a big fan of your work, and it's great to be with you. So let's kick off our conversation today um, about place-based education. And Tom, why did you become so interested in this topic? Can you share with us a personal story about why this is important to you? Yeah, I'll give you three really quick answers to that story. I think um, growing up, um, my dad uh, went to Walter Reed um, as a head of neurosurgery in mm. the Vietnam War. And I remember the two years that we were in D.C., um, uh, both exploring the physical place, the, the creeks and hills around our house, but also all the museums in Washington, D.C. And the, and the battlefields. And that period during fifth and sixth grade is when I really um, appreciated place for the first time in my life. And I knew then I wanted to be uh, an architect. Then we moved to Colorado and I spent most of uh, high school in the, in the mountains, um, skiing and hiking and it had a, a big impact on me. And um, I went to Colorado School of Mines to study geology. And then when I uh, eventually made my way into, into education, I had the chance to um, to start visiting place-based schools like the museum school in New York City, um, New York City High School, schools that were really connected to community assets. And then finally, uh, maybe a fourth story is I, I joined the advisory board at Teton Science Schools in Jackson, Wyoming four or five years ago. And they're really the best in class at place-based education um, they're obviously in one of the most beautiful places in the world, uh, but they're a really thoughtful group of people. Um, 
with a 30-year tradition of um, helping people learn in place and about place. Uh, and I, I think it was there that we formed this partnership and decided uh, to begin writing and, and trying to introduce more people to the power of place. So our podcast here today is is occurring in a particular context. So our listeners are gonna gonna hear this while um, most schools are dealing with the coronavirus and school closures. So this idea of place based education and learning has some real applicability and maybe even being elevated by the current situation. So Tom, for our listeners, give us a an understanding of how you're approaching this idea of place-based education. What is it and, and why does it matter? And why does it matter particularly now? Most simply, I think place-based learning is immersive learning. It's um, It could be a place nearby or a place far away, but it's it's being fully immersed in place and trying to learn uh, all that it has to offer. What what I really appreciate about the Teton Science School approach is that they invite young people to enter a place with three different lenses, the economy, ecology, and culture. So many people will think about place-based learning as outdoor education, and it certainly is that. But um, I, I like to give an example of um, New View Studio in, in Boston and simple walking tours that I witnessed uh, last time I was there, one of the studios did a walking tour where they um, were making record of um, the economy and they were using data sets about the economy. So they were taking notes, both uh, geolocated notes, but also looking at data about um, income inequality, retail sales, and trying to notice differences in the different neighborhoods of their region. So a, a walk in place, but thinking about the data behind a set of economic questions. Another studio took the same walk, but they were thinking about uh, smell. They were studying the olfactory system and they were registering, geolocating the, the sense that they experienced and trying to um, express them, rate them, and uh, and measure their duration. So they were building these data sets as they took a walk. You could take the same walk the next day and do an art and architecture walk. So it's the idea of immersion and a multi-sensory learning in a place. And our, our contention in the book is that every place has something to teach. The, the most humble environments um, have, have layers uh, that they can teach us about who we are and what our connection is to that place. Being able to travel is obviously a really terrific benefit. These days we're not doing much travel. Um, so the, the place-based applications are both making observations about the place that you live. And that could be as simple as going out the door uh, every day and writing in your journal, what do I see? Right, and just trying to be open to um, how the world is different today than it was yesterday and trying to experience that. In, in terms of uh, the inability to travel, we, we now have great resources like uh, Google Expedition that allows us at least for short durations through virtual reality, 
to go explore other parts of the world. So new technology is helping us um, expand our, our definition of, of place to um, these, these virtual experiences as well. So we, we do think during these school closures that um, place can become an important part of, uh, of every student day of just um, making notice of, of where they are and if they are able to go outside um, to have the, the time, the unusual amount of time, uh, just to experience the, the place that they're from. So a good uh, good suggestion there is this easy on-ramp for a, a teacher to dip their toes in this place-based education, especially during this particular time. Tom, so what do teachers need to think about in terms of equity and access when they're thinking about place-based education and thinking about their learners at home who are living in um, you know, very potentially different living conditions from a small apartment to a larger home to maybe multifamily homes? Yeah, this is such an important consideration. Uh, and I, I fully recognize that when we've been advising people, if there's any way you can, uh, go outside with your kids uh, for a few minutes every day. If you are in a safe place where you can keep your distance, uh, go for a walk and have a conversation with your kids. Use it as an opportunity to reflect about what's happening, but also invite them to experience the world in a new way, to listen to sounds that they may not have heard, uh, to, to see things, to bring their, their phone and, and record things, uh, to begin to journal. If that's not possible um, where you are, if you're a teacher, uh, some of your students can't do that, um, anybody can go to a window and look out and try to record um, reflections on what they're seeing and how the day is progressing, how the sunlight is different today than it was yesterday. So even in restricted um, environments, there are opportunities to, uh, to try to experience what um, sense of place you can and to reflect on it and to incorporate it uh, into learning, but I, but I appreciate the, the impulse to think about uh, the equity aspect. It's important for teachers now, particularly when students are remote, to keep that um, in mind and, and to think about accommodations for kids that may not have access to the same assets that, uh, that other students do. So in your book, Tom, you identify six design principles of place-based education. Um, could you share a little bit about those principles and how they've emerged from your work? And for our listeners, community as classroom, learner-centered, inquiry-based, local to global, design thinking, and interdisciplinary are those principles. Yeah, thank you, Lynn. These, these are topics that um, you and Randy and I uh, talk about every day in all of our work. So they're, these are important universal principles we did borrow these from the Teton Science School um, and incorporate them into the six chapters that frame the, the middle of the, of the book. We think each one of them are important. I'll, I'll just say a quick sentence about each one. Place is this unusual um, entry point, Randy, you used that term entry point from local to global. So what you notice about the water in your neighborhood and how it's draining. Maybe if you're testing the water uh, in your neighborhood, 
it's it's that observation that can connect a student to a global issue uh, around water or um, the way a student is dealing, uh, experiencing poverty or the way a student observes poverty in their community can connect them to the global issue of poverty. The interesting thing is that it can also work in reverse. If a student hears about an issue globally, a teacher can help them connect to the local issue. So it goes back and forth between local and global. Place is essentially learner-centered because we each experience place in a in a unique way. So it's this beautiful opportunities for teachers to invite kids to reflect on how they're experiencing place and the history that it represents, the economics that it represents, the who's represented in a place, who's missing from a place. So it's uniquely learner-centered. It um, When we walk into place, it's um, interdisciplinary. We're the only ones that think about disciplines. Places don't think in terms of disciplines. They they invite us to think uh, across the traditional disciplines. They invite inquiry to ask questions about why are things the way they are? How did they come about? We think place is, um, is a terrific opportunity to use design thinking. Uh, when I think of design thinking, it's a creative structured problem solving approach, but it's also a strategy for walking into complexity. Design thinking, if, if students use design thinking enough, it creates a muscle memory that helps them know what to do first when they walk into complexity. And what I want young people to do when they walk into place is to appreciate it for all the complexity that it offers, but to know what to do first. That might be to think about a problem and then begin um, with some empathy research of trying to understand how people in that place are, are experiencing place. And then finally, the, the real concept is just about thinking about your whole community as your classroom uh, and what every place in your community has to offer. And, and maybe this pandemic will help us all think more broadly about our community as a classroom and all the different resources that are out there to provoke and support learning. So we really connect to all those those six design principles, uh, the way to framing this idea of um, place-based education. And in your book, you actually connect these to the learning sciences. Why is that important, do you think? Yeah, my my colleague, Emily uh, Leaptag, who, by the way, just started um, Boundless, a, a great new organization that's going to help collect um, videos that will help educators um, find entry points in, into this work. But um, Dr. Leapteg felt really strongly about trying to incorporate learning sciences. And, and we do, for all the reasons we just discussed with those design principles, find a great integration uh, to learning sciences. Learning, we, we know, for example, learning is about effort and mistakes and refinement. We know it's about thinking deeply. Um, we know it's about retrieval practices. So how, how to incorporate repeated um, visits to a place that incorporate retrieval. Um, learning science incorporates um, spacing learning. Um, it, it values immersive experiences. There's just so many different ways that what we have learned about learning um, can be 
and, and are naturally incorporated into the way we experience place. And so in each chapter, we tried to make those connections for teachers so that they, they can move beyond a field trip, they, they get on a bus and go to someplace cool, which can be, uh, have some value. But if we think deeply about the, how we prepare for a, a, a place-based experience and then how we reflect on it, and then the products that we create as a result of it, that we can really pack those experiences um, and, and make them full and deep and, and memorable. And I'm sort of connecting that to um, just that's good pedagogy, right? Before you read something, you're creating some intentionality for why you're reading it. While you're reading, you're engaging in some thought processes. And when you finished reading, you're sharing or producing or, um, you know, determining how it connects to previous knowledge and, and what you're going to do as a result of that. So I, that's interesting that you explicitly thought about that and just shared that because it's not something that I was thinking about um, in the same in the same way through the same lens. But good good pedagogy applies everywhere, right? <laughs> right. So one of the things I'm curious about, Tom, is you know, we want to do these types of design, these types of learning experiences for our students, but oftentimes as the adults, we have to experience these things ourselves. So how do you as a learner um, sort of look at your learning through these place-based principles? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, I, I have the opportunity to visit Teton Science Schools a couple times a year with a world-class advisory board and they always construct um, amazing place-based experiences um, that in <laughs> include challenging bike rides and uh, reflective meetings, um, kind of the full gamut that helps me, uh, that introduces me into a range of productive practices. So I guess number one was um, hang out with people that, uh, do this well, you know, look to um, the experts. We, we hope our, our book sort of expands access to, uh, to some of those. Um, more simply, though, I, I do some simple um, daily things to connect with place. One, one simple example, Randy, is that I, um, I have an Instagram account. Uh, I think it's just Tom Vanderark where I try to take a picture every day that's worth sharing. And what that does for me is it, it creates this sort of always on awareness of the world that I'm experiencing. And I'm always looking for something that's unusual or important or beautiful. And, and just that habit of, of making a commitment that I'm going to spot something interesting or important that's worth sharing every day makes me more aware of how I'm experiencing the world. So it's both thinking deeply about creating learning experiences for others, but, but it's also about having habit, habits of uh, gratitude and habits of um, attending that I think help make you more aware of your own personal experience um, and, and how you're experiencing the world. Yeah, and the, the reason why I asked the question and the connection that I'm making to your answer is that from a leadership lens, I ask myself the question, like how do we create 
um, the daily environment or the learning yeah. environment for the teachers, like right. if it's a defined professional learning opportunity or if it's just the school day of which hopefully we're learning throughout that regardless of our role, but how do we yeah. intentionally design some opportunities for, for our teachers sure. to experience that? Yeah, I, I think micro-credentials can be really useful. I'm, I'm a fan of micro-credentials. Uh, Digital Promise and Bloomboard are both leading resources for that. And they're important because teachers have some, some voice and choice in terms of what they learn and how they learn and how they demonstrate. And a, a school or a district can try to prioritize certain micro-credentials. And this could be a category where uh, you encourage or incentivize um, place-based uh, micro-credentials or experiences so that in whatever way it feels most important to their practice that teachers have the opportunity uh, to do some, some place-based learning themselves. So Tom, thank you for sharing those ideas. And it was interesting to hear your idea about how you're holding yourself personally responsible for also um, focusing on on being attentive to what's around you and what matters and sharing that photo a day through Instagram. So before we invite you to share what's next for you, um, we have a couple of lightning response questions that we added last season. Are you ready? Go. <laughs> okay. Who's one expert our listeners should connect with to learn more about place-based education? Well, I've, I've talked about them a couple times, but tetonscience.org, they're really best in class. Um, I'd love people to also know about their um, place schools network, uh, placeschools.org. The place network are uh, a new network of rural micro schools that connect uh, kids deeply with uh, the place that they're from. We, we really think this concept has a um, deep importance in, in rural America. So tetonscience.org is a great place to start. And we'll add that to the show notes. How about if you're recommending one book to our listeners, what might that book be? Well, maybe two books from 2018. I'd have to add my own uh, Better Together that I wrote with Lydia Dobbins. It's kind of a wonky take on why schools should work in networks. But if mm -hmm. you're a, an ed leader trying to do hard work, which, which everybody is, uh, do it with other people. Uh, do it in networks. The the, the book I want to highlight is called A New You, uh, Faster and Cheaper Alternatives to College by Ryan Craig. I think this was the most interesting, important, and provocative book of 2018. Um, Ryan uh, advocates for a hard sprint to a good first job. And for me, that's a different way to think about higher education uh, than the way I've thought about it for the last 30 years. Um, you may not agree with um, with some of his book, but I think it's interesting and provocative and related to the resurgence of career and technical education and the, the question that we as education leaders have to keep in mind of how do we expose students to productive pathways, but do it um, with, with a deep commitment to equity. All right, last last lightning round question. Um, what is one online site or resource or even a person from whom you learn regularly? Well, um, like like you guys, I'm a big fan of uh, Education Reimagined. I think that's a uh, terrific resource, and I appreciate their uh, their weekly blast. But I, I have 
the biggest change in my life as a learner in the last four years has been the shift to podcasts. And I now uh, listen to about 40 podcasts, including yours, um, on a daily and weekly basis. Wow. We have a blog called 100 Podcasts you should check out. Take I a look actually at that. Use that. I actually use that in my online class. We, <laughs> that we have blog great, post. That's a good one. We have great education posts on there, but we also have <clears throat> economics, um, machine learning, the future of work. There's even a couple of really great cooking podcasts. So I, I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of what it's meant for, uh, for learning. And it's certainly uh, been the biggest change in, in my life as a learner. Neat. So Tom's a podcast junkie, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. So uh, you are so prolific. You've, you and Getting Smart push out so much content on the, on your website, and you've got so many books and articles and LinkedIn. You're posting things, Forbes, et cetera. So what are you working on next that you'd like to share with our audience? So um, Emily Leaptag and I, I just uh, finished uh, another book um, yesterday, and it's called Difference Making. And it's it's been a very interesting journey, Randy. We, we've spent um, five years studying the future of work, and we came to an interesting conclusion that the most important and valuable experiences that we can have for young people are, are really community-connected projects, opportunities where they can make a difference for the community. That does some magical things for young people. It creates a sense of, uh, of agency, of their agency is really knowing that you can act on the world. It's, it's a self-understanding of who you are and what you're good at and what your interests are. And when you take agency and add leadership uh, and create something valuable for a community, we think that captures the the set of skills that are the superpower for the uh, innovation economy. And for those reasons, we think that it's not just a, um, a nice thing that can happen in service learning in high school, that we can actually put the idea of difference making or, or contribution central to the mission uh, of, of high school and college that we can incorporate entrepreneurial mindset and design thinking to give young people the tools uh, to take action right now. And that in doing so, we'll be giving them the best possible preparation for the future. So do you think that despite the situation that we're in now, that the movement towards more learner-centered environments will maintain, will accelerate, will de-accelerate? Yeah, it has to accelerate. This horrible tragedy will change us all forever. It, it's going to result in a step function um, in learner agency, in, in real voice and choice for young people. Uh, longer term, it's going to re result in more mastery-based or competency-based learning. Uh, kids are just not going to take a traditional learning environment. I think a lot of kids are going to come back and not be satisfied to sit in rows in a traditional high school where the primary objectives are routine and compliance. Uh, kids are just not going to put up with that. 
And I, I think we have to think really deeply as educators, how are we different as human beings as a result of this crisis? What have we learned? What new capabilities are we going to bring to back to the table uh, in the fall when, when we go back to school, God willing? Um, and how will our kids be different? And as a result, how can, how can we create learning environments and experiences that are more meaningful, that are more inviting, that, um, that accept and develop learner agency, that value more community-connected projects, that value social-emotional learning, um, that, that, are, that are built on really strong safety nets um, that take care of families and kids when they're, um, when they're in trouble. Uh, I think all of those things are going to become stronger parts of uh, future learning environments as a result of uh, what we're going through. So some really good questions for us, especially as leaders, to ponder and reflect on so that we can continue this movement forward to really transforming our schools. Yeah, and in some ways, this is obviously very challenging operationally for schools and teachers, but it also has the potential to be um, a real opportunity for our learners and our teachers to try some different um, teaching practices and to use some different resources and focus on some big ideas and um, creating choice and, and really excitement and learning for our learners. And I think your point is interesting, Tom, about um, what does it look like in the fall when kids come back and now they've had so much agency over at least um, maybe not the content, although we'd hope at some point they do, but agency over where they were to work in their home and they're right. not sitting at a desk and where they, where they when, sit, right? Yeah. yeah they're, and, they're and when they learn, right? right? I mean, my, it's one thirty in the, in the afternoon. My son just got up because he has a zoom session, um, at two o'clock with his teachers, but in essence, he gets to do whatever he wants from seven fifteen to one thirty, And, you know, that's just not the way school is working. So you're right. I, I hadn't thought about it. Like, what what is the learner's reaction to this come fall? Mm -hmm. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Tom. Um, to learn more about Tom's work, you'll see in the show notes, we linked a variety of resources, um, including books and many of his um, papers that he's authored, blogs, um, also a link to uh, Teton Science and Play Schools Network. Um, and that new you. Looking forward to checking that book out as well. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking reflection and conversation. This episode's question, how might place-based education act as an accelerant for your school transformation efforts? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes, uh, look for episode season six, 33. That's all for this episode. We'll be back next week with another conversation featuring other innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks, Randy.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.